Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to your, the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, joined as always by Ben Ross. Ben, what's popping, my man? Were you about to say your Pants Party? I yeah, that was a a save <laughs> <laughs> that I thought was not going to get caught. It'd be the very first time we ever got an email. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Complaining right. about our content, but uh, rightfully so. Uh, very little. Very little's popping. It is like 70 degrees, almost 80, I think, in Chicago. I am taking this podcast from my back deck. Um, you know, you'll get some real ambient sound. I'm excited for y'all to hear the wildlife. That is the garbage truck roaming through my alley and the blue line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and any uh, neighbors that are doing the same, that, that, that might be a little bit of a risk, though. Hopefully nothing too crazy from from your neighbors. No, my neighbors neighbors to my right right now. They're actually a French family. They're very sweet. Um, I think the I think the, the mom and dad are actually like professors at Northwestern. Um, so I got that going on. The house to my left is vacated. I think they're tearing it down sometime soon. Um, the guy lives below me. Went to Michigan, and he can go and get fucked. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> him and i don't we don't get along very well so it's fine uh ben stomping around cheering on iowa the the usual the guy below just throwing pandemic parties and getting everyone sick i'm sure yeah more so him just can't not be blacked out drunk for his night and seven chicago bears um oh yes it is just yeah it's, car- it's carried over. Nine and eight next year. That's a that's yep. a different topic, though. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's funny uh, thinking about sports because this is, I think, this is the wilderness for for me specifically because you know Iowa football, Iowa basketball, that largely drives it for me, and then I'll get into the NBA when the playoffs starts. But other than that, it's like. Man, there are dark times ahead. Not much to look forward to by way of sports. So Christine and I finally got our first shot, and we're starting to look forward to doing things with people in different places. So that's exciting. I think, you know, everybody sort of has a feeling of turning the corner and all like that. And I fully, for better or for worse, I'm not ready to make a judgment on anything right now, but I think for better, better for worse, I think we'll, without a doubt, we'll see 100% capacity at SEC football. I know I was going to do everything I can um, to get 100% capacity for football, including no tailgating. Um, and I think, you know, the, the shot callers in the state of Iowa, they're going to, they're going to let them do that. Um, 
I kind of think, you know, the schools and the states that don't have 100% fans and tailgating will be the minority. Yeah, I mean, without getting into it too much, it's a dangerous game to predict. But yeah, you look five months ahead and it's hard not to see everyone being very close to 100% vaccinated and everyone feeling comfortable about that. Unless, you know, you never know. But I... I am excited. Uh, Keith Duncan's tweeted out that he was very happy to see a full Texas Rangers stadium, and your mileage may vary on that opinion right now, but it is certainly something to look forward to as we get into college football especially. I mean, yeah, how else do you get the full experience of Texas Rangers if you don't have 35,000 people booing? You need that for baseball. I know, and I mean, it's just, that stadium in particular, one of the most ridiculous things that ever came up. They they built the first one in Arlington just before the retractable roofs came to be a thing. So then 20 years later, or 30 years later, somewhere in between there, right? They're like, oh, now we need a new one because it's so freaking hot to play games in Texas in the summer. So we need a new stadium so that people will actually go to these games because it's not the product on the field keeping from people going to games. It's the fact that you bake in the sun. Um, so again, your mileage may vary on, on that as well, but still it cracked me up. It cracked me up. I guess switching a hard left turn, Ben um, just got done eating dinner and Christina She's made cilantro rice in the past, cilantro lime rice in the past, and today she did the best version of it. Instead of doing lime juice, she did lime zest, and it set it over the top. So I just have to, you know, kind of veer away from that previous conversation to an exciting one about cilantro lime rice, lime rice, and uh, man, I'm not sure I've had a better better version of of that in my life. Do you know what I had as a side dish for my dinner tonight, Harrison? Was it cilantro lime rice? It was cilantro lime cauliflower rice. Oh, incredible. It was that is so funny. <laughs> there is no no planning ahead on on this podcast. Yeah, I had for rewind for Easter, I made on Easter, not for Easter, I made the best thing I've ever cooked. Uh, it was the best I ever cooked. It was a chili verde, chile verde. I don't know how you're not supposed to pronounce it. Uh, with you know pork ribs and all types of uh, tomatillos and poblanos and jalapenos and all that. And uh, so I made that on Sunday. Been eating that through the week. Um, and tonight I just had a little bit left, and I had a whole bunch of frozen. I always keep rice cauliflower and my freezer. So I was out of spinach, which is my normal vegetable. Um, didn't want to go to the grocery store. So I made this, the, so started cooking the cauliflower rice in the pan and I saw I had leftover limes and I had lots of cilantro left from the chili there day. It's like, well, and you know, I was like cilantro lime rice. That's a thing. People love that. Eat that shit at Chipotle. I personally, I have some very weird rice takes, which is that I don't touch it. Um, but I'll, I can get into that on a different pod <laughs> um, for lots of reasons. But so I was like, oh, that's a thing. So I'll try it. And I mean, I just fried up the cauliflower rice. I normally I season it 
any which way I want, but tonight is just uh, salt and olive oil and butter and pepper. And then I had tons of freshly chopped cilantro, just dumped that in um, when the burner turned off, when I turned off the burner and then squeezed an entire lime, fresh lime juice over it. No zest, which I guess is something I should have known because I am aware of the, the power of zest in some of my cocktail making. Um, but I, so then I was able to get my last bowl of chili verde over the cilantro lime, cilantro lime rice, and it was just quite, quite the quite the meal, quite the send off for my Dutch oven's worth of uh, oh, chili so verde, chili, chili verde. <laughs> it's, it's 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 five pounds of pork. Well, it's five pounds of ribs. So, oh man, that's like probably three pounds of meat, and then I think it's six, six or eight poblano peppers, six jalapenos, uh, a pound of tomatillos. Um. That's kind of bit water. You let that cook, and then all you know, all the Mexican spices and all that. Oh man, that is that is incredible. Yeah, I was I was super pleased with the the cilantro lime rice. For us, it was the, the standard the beef short ribs. Just fry them up with some salt and pepper, and just get the nice little crisp. Had those from Sam's, so now we'll have breakfast tacos for a while now because there are so many of them left. So many. Our our Easter dinner, it was kind of like you. It was more a dinner we happened to make on Easter. We cooked uh, roast chi- we uh, a loose term, the royal we. My wife cooked a uh, whole chicken in the oven for the first time, and it turned out really well. I was blown away. Just simple salt and pepper on the skin. So, I mean, we're, it's easy sometimes. And then did this thing over the the roast vegetables, so it got all the drippings, and that was that was tasty. So, man, fun fun times. I do think Easter what? might be a great holiday in terms of food, at least underrated in that respect. I haven't enjoyed an Easter with like company, and I don't know how long, so I don't even remember. Um, that the chicken was your Easter dinner. Was your Easter? We are truly yeah. kindred spirits because on Friday I roasted a whole chicken. Man, this is so funny. Hilarious. I, again, I did it the way I think I've talked about on here before. I spatchcock it. It's a brick chicken, and so I, I get it laid down flat, skin side down on my cast iron skillet, and then I put the aforementioned mm. put the aforementioned crock pot on top of it, uh, so all the skin touches the surface, and it's done in thirty minutes. Incredible. And it's, so good. You can use the drippings to put out. You make you make a pan sauce. Put that over your roasted carrots. I mean, game over. Yeah, uh, I asked if I could spatchcock it, and she said, "No, we're going to do it this way first. And I said, "That's fair. I'm going to go put Elliot to sleep." Uh, yeah, in, fair enough. In non-food news, and maybe maybe we'll bring it back to food. But final four this weekend uh, really got one good game out of the thing which feels like a uh, an outlier, at least recently, to, to only get one really good game and for that game to be not the championship. Uh, had a nice run of really good championship games. Baylor ran away with it. And looking at it, broadly speaking, I was just left behind from an athleticism standpoint because I looked at Iowa – Versus Gonzaga. And I'm like, well, Jalen Suggs made a ton of threes against Iowa. And that was more or less the difference. 
but he made them because Iowa was so afraid of his athleticism. And, you know, Joel Ayayi had 18 rebounds, just an insane game against Iowa. And it's like, well, these teams are, I would say, very close to equally skilled, but the athleticism set Gonzaga apart from Iowa. And then you look at Gonzaga and Baylor, two, I would also say, equally skilled teams, but the athleticism Baylor had was just incredible. It was just, I mean, to say nothing of Gonzaga probably being a little tired, but man, you have a plan until you get punched in the mouth, and Baylor did that to them over and over again. I couldn't really believe it. Like, I always thought, I always kind of thought Baylor was going to win. I'm like, I actually money line Baylor. I, I couldn't believe, like, I couldn't believe they're underdogs, but at the same time, they kind of had to be, I guess. I don't know. You just couldn't make them the favorites in that game for one reason or another. Uh, but, or maybe you can. I'm not fucking Vegas. I don't know. Uh, the game was never close. Like, the only time I was ever like, well, you know, Gonzaga can do this, that, and the other thing was at halftime, where it felt like an absolute miracle. They were down only 10, right? Mm-hmm. And they could have they could have been down eight. And I was like, if they would have been down I, – I even said to myself, like, if they can get this within single digits at half, Gonzaga will win. Uh, but they didn't, and it wasn't even close, and it was never close in the second half. And it was just all the other – other things, you know, there's even a point where I think finally um, I had to delete the draft in my tweet where there's a point, I think, with maybe two minutes left in the first half where it looked like all the Gonzagos have three starters held scoreless, like another basketball team <laughs> we all know and love. Um, but that didn't happen. Tweet got deleted, remo- removed from drafts. And, I mean, you can't really compare the two teams, the two games, but it's – I mean, it kind of stunk. I watched maybe four minutes of the second half, and then I turned on – I finished a really good TV show on Amazon. Um, So I watched that instead. It was great. Yeah, I ended up watching the whole thing. Um, I should have – Yeah, of course you did. Yeah, I I just had to – let it slowly come out. I did. I did get lucky though, because we, in maybe the saddest news ever, we are catching up once again with Law and Order SVU. So we had an episode that we were in the process of watching. I'm like, ah, let's let's turn it over to the game, pause the game, and then come back to the game. And that was really smart because I was able to kind of fly through that. Um, in a way that I wouldn't have. I'm not sure I would. In other words, I, I probably would have called it if uh, that wasn't the case. But I also wanted to see the one shining moment. Um, interesting to see Iowa got the two. Uh, Luca doing his little shrug and then looking down sad after losing. And then Connor McCaffrey getting blocked by, uh, God, just a sad story. The Oscar Freyer out of Grand Canyon, he passing away. Um so, I mean, that to me, that was the takeaway. I ended up rewatching it because um, I was touched, you know, just just by that that Oscar Freyer moment. Um, because you know, we whether we've said it or not, I feel like we've often alluded to just life is precious on this podcast, and and that was another example of that. Yeah, you're not going to hear me get. Very existential. You've got a family. You've created life. <laughs> I, 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 all I do is take. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a, a busy weekend, and, and I think the the weirdest thing uh, before we get to I know Ben, you had put some work in for for spring football. Um, the thing that uh, to put a bow on the season is Luca Garza winning, I believe, the sixth uh, major player of the year award on the heels of him announcing that he will be the first college athlete to create and sell a non-fungible token, a.k.a. a top shot, his version of a top shot. And this thing is wild. I know we've had the bit with uh, top shot updates. This is our top shot update today, this week. Um and the thing that kind of blows my mind away as I kind of pay attention to it, the bids are ending on Friday. It's kind of making its way up. The bids look to be, uh, as you said, they're the, the working man's crypto Ethereum, um, currently at the dollar value price of $1,500. Um, that's I'll the say Ethereum this much. price or that's the, that's the bidding price? That's the, the dollar value. So the dollar value of the Ethereum, the bid is at 0.37338 Ethereum, which is not really which that is like helpful. hundred bucks, right? No, Ethereum is, uh, I mean, over 2000 because the, the dollar no, figure on it is I'm saying if it's point, if you said it was 0.303, right? So that's like a hundred bucks. Oh, 0.733. Oh, oh, okay. So that's like... Close to a thousand, yeah, or over a thousand. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, um, it's pretty nifty. Like I gotta say, it's it's certainly the only time that I think you'll be able to ma- cash in on his maximum value as a college athlete, simply because he's the national player of the year uh, consensus. He might. Uh, Maybe he does release more, but this one of one is certainly something that is going to be interesting to monitor, especially considering the the things that come along with it um, being outside. Just the the tangible or the this is always where we get on this thing. It's not it's not truly tangible. The things he's adding to it are the more tangible assets. This is just the the as I wrote in the little write up. This is the baseball card that can't get depreciated because of you set it out in the sun too long or left it by the sink and it got water splashed on it. This is not going to lose value in that way. It may lose value in a way that these things lose value as just assets, but um, just interesting, I guess is really the, the main takeaway to see an individual doing it like this. Do you think he listens to us and he heard us do our top shot updates. And he's like, you know, that's what the future is. These two guys, one of which who knows nothing about anything. <laughs> There's hair. <laughs> you know, they're going to make me some money. No, I mean, I, I think that the thing that turned it is, you know, his dad being just on, on the edge of, I would say the the these types of ways to make money, um, seeing 
how like Rob Gronkowski, he released some non-fungible tokens, grossed over a million bucks on 350 of these things. So um, I think he saw the market that was out there and trusted that um, that's a possibility. Because like you look at um, Grimes, Elon Musk's wife or partner, um, she released two digital pieces of art. Now, I don't know how you would be able to display them. Could you get like a big TV that you could put in your front house and you've, or the front of your house and you've got this artwork constantly displaying probably. But what she did was you bought them for uh, a set price uh, and you, she minted as many as were bought within 15 minutes and she generated a ton of money this way too. So it's interesting to see Luca run it this way with the single auction item, additional things for sale um, as a, as a part of it. And, you know, I, I think it could, you know, give them a pretty penny. That's kind of where I, I set the over under at a hundred thousand, $999,000 or excuse me, $99,999, what, you know, hundred thousand bucks. I, I think it'll be around there by the time we get to Friday. Um, so we'll see portion of it goes to, to the children's hospital. Allegedly. I mean, it does, but if you're, if he's yeah, selling yeah. something for a hundred thousand dollars, you know, not enough of it probably goes to the children's hospital, but it's okay. It's his money on his name, um, image and likeness. I'm imagining myself forking over 15 grand for a piece of art from Grimes and displaying it on my mom's aura frame in her kitchen. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's the name of the brand or the type of actual frame where it's just, it's a digital picture frame where she uploads pictures, uh, I think, through an app. Yeah. And it's, it's a, I mean, it looks like a picture frame and you plug it in, but it, it, cycle through however many photos in a day or an hour you want and i am just trying to imagine me (laughs) sticking that into my mom's (laughs) pictures of me and my niece and then knowing what very little i know about grimes probably some type of skull which will not fly with my mom anyway good for garza do you know what percentage of the proceeds are going to the uh, to the stead no, I don't. Just did, did he even say in the release? Or just as a portion? Okay. Well, I mean, like, I, yeah. It's... I trust Luca. I don't know if I trust Frank, honestly, but I, I trust Luca. And yes. <laughs> that's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we've, we've made one hard left turn in this podcast. Let's go ahead and make another hard left turn, Ben. Spring football. Spring has sprung. It is upon us. You were previously out on your porch. You have moved inside. That's how much spring has sprung. You had a little game that you went and and did. I'll let you explain it and really kind of guide the rest of this podcast because I think it'll be some fun discussion. First, I think we'd be remiss to just circle back real quick and say, after all the time we spent on Jordan Bohannon last week, it sounds like like he's not coming back. (laughs) Right. We just have to, we can't not mention his name on this podcast, right? Yes, I'm very, the possibility exists. Fran was on Doug Gottlieb's podcast and he 
he's like, uh, what'd he say? He said, he's probably not, but he might, which I mean, just feels just classic Fran. So, um, I would say non-zero chance that Jordan Bohannon returns, but it is very close to zero. Well, okay. And I'm still oh, no. mad. <laughs> You're allowed to be I'm mad. Tra- <laughs> because Jordan then went on YouTube to say he tore his labrum in February, right? <laughs> yes. Like, and I mentioned, I mentioned this even before learning yeah. really about the extent of injuries. I think it was two or th- even three podcasts ago. As soon as the post Oregon podcast is like, I'm mad. The thing I'm angriest about is this team not playing its best players. And now that's definitely, it's, that goes to tub, double and triple true. Now, whereas Jordan Bohannon has not been one of this team's five best players since before we even thought that. And it's just really making me, you know, I, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm still a ride or die guy for Fran, but just he's, I mean, his, his goodwill is wearing thin on me uh, <laughs> in the wake of a six-year contract extension. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the timing of that thing was always going to be the hang-up. Um, the Bohannon injury doesn't – it bothers me, but then you hear about all of the other injuries, all of the other surgeries that have happened between – obviously, Connors is the big one, but Toussaint had to have surgery – Ulysses also had to have surgery. And then you're stuck with someone holding the bag, ostensibly. It ends up being Jordan Bohannon because, to your point, he was one of Iowa's five best players for long before we realized he was one of Iowa's five best players. So, ultimately, they're just, it ended up being like there were no good options. And I think where I finally settled on this team is Iowa needed two things for them to go far in the tournament. They needed some combination of good fortune and Fran to be great. And injuries out before you even look at the fact that Iowa was the only team out of 32 to face a team that played zero games ahead of it. The injuries were bad luck unless you subscribe to the fact that somehow He's just consistently, Fran is running these guys into the ground. I don't know if I believe that because you had, I mean, tons of guys were injured this time this time of year. So that happens. Um, the other piece is Fran needed to be great. He wasn't, but he also guided Iowa to their highest seed in the regular season that they've had since the 80s. And maybe maxed out the regular season performance, especially as we look at um, how injured they were. So it's like if if he had leaned into Joe Toussaint, Aaron Eulis, and they lose these games, and they end up getting a 6-7 seed, and we wonder where that, where, hey, all these high expectations went, then maybe they get lucky on the flip side of, oh, these guys are actually ready to make a run because they're a little healthier. It's spread a little thinner, but they get the right draw. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a it's a tough circle to square, in my opinion, if you're Fran. You just kind of have to play the games in front of you, and I think 
he did the best that he could with that, with all the injuries that had happened, especially in Iowa's backcourt. I mean, you you mentioned, he said, and I'm where we can be done being this horse, but you mentioned, you know, what else was I supposed to do? Or what could they do? It's like, play Tony Perkins. That's what they could have done, Harrison. They could have played Aaron Eulis, who, again, has his own surgery he has to undergo for reasons we don't know. So my, I just go back to playing Tony Perkins more as being the answer to all, literally every question I've posed for the past three weeks. Okay. I mean, you know, I think that that's Not probably... even playing Tony Perkins more, playing Kirk and Keegan Murray, going with three bigs. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I mean, it, it, play the guys you feel good about playing more is an answer we can agree on because Perkins is someone who is healthy. Murray was someone who is healthy. And could they play? Murray, we know, could play 30 minutes a game. He's that kind of guy. Uh, Perkins, maybe a little different story, but he, to your point, he was the guy who could have been left holding the bag instead of running Bohannon out there 35 minutes a night. We could have squeezed 20 out of Tony easily. Yeah. Then, then there's there. I agree with you. That, okay. That's a. Alrighty. We're, we're gonna we're gonna be litigating this season forever. That's that's what this is. What I'm learning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's basically it. So so uh, back on course, Ben. You you have a, a little game to go through the spring football depth chart. I will follow along and, um, you know, take shots where, where's appropriate. Um, because I, I've said I'm a little pessimistic, but maybe, maybe you'll flip me to more optimistic through the course of this podcast. So I'm not here to make you feel one way or the other on this, on this group, (laughs) on the Iowa football season writ large. I'm just here to frame, not even an argument, to frame the conversation in a way I'd like it to be framed. So we, I knew we were going to have this be our spring football, let's call it light preview, I guess, because it's not going to be our first and only, it's going to be, this is the first time we're talking about spring football. And so you'll notice Iowa, and I think for lots of reasons, Iowa did not release an infamous spring depth chart going into last season. There's a lot of reasons for that. Even before, they just didn't do it. I can't remember if they did it two years ago. Um, But typically, ever since of the C.J. Beathard, Jake Rudock conundrum, they had been releasing a spring depth chart the same way they made a assistant coach of the year award and then took it away. (laughs) So this year, they released a spring depth chart even earlier. Uh, than typical, I think um, you'll have is for the for the um, actually no, the CJ Beathard's depth chart came right before the spring day. Typically, is when the media participates. So that's that was held or was being held virtually. It sounds like it's gonna be a multi-day affair this year, breaking up over Zoom because it can. One of the good things for the pandemic is you'll get one day of Kirk Ferentz and then eight days of coordinators. Um, so whatever. Anyway, we have ourselves a spring depth chart, and instead of assigning letter grades, as we've done in the past, I don't know, maybe we've done that, I can't remember, sounds like something we might have done, as other blogs, as other 
publications will do that. We, I, because I'm taking credit for this. It's something yes, much better. It's I a great idea. I took, a, I took 100 points and I assigned them to each position group in terms of confidence to least confidence. Can you hear that right now? Can you hear the roommate below me? Or not roommate, the guy who lives below me. He is screaming about something. He is the least chill person who blasts fish I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Incredible. I maybe I I hope the ambient noise comes down. Um, on the maybe heard me say he can get fucked out on the patio. And if, <laughs> if he did, I have it coming. Anyway, so I took a hundred points. Uh, he is just derailing my train of thought right now. Um, I took a hundred points, and I assigned them to each position group. I have seven position groups. I made quarterbacks, running backs, and tight ends one group because that's sort of what they are nowadays. Quarterback is its own group, uh, but the rest is standard DBs, offensive line, defensive line, uh, linebackers, and special teams. And so out of 100 points, uh, I gave them all a point evaluation for what I think is best going down to the least best, we'll say. (laughs) Or maybe confidence would be a much better way to frame it. But also – overall skill and bestness is still important. So I guess I'll let you, would you like to guess? Do you want me to begin somewhere? Do you want me to, do you want to take a position group? I would like to get you involved in this thought experiment, this exercise in one way or another. I'm, I'm let's do it so that I guess in your order of confidence. So we'll go based. That's how I'm going to tee them up the the groups that I think you're most confident about and then go through it that way. Okay. And then would you like me to then go to the group that you guessed or just go with the group that I had? Yeah, let's go to the group that you had and we will keep track of the points as we get through it. So there's a really good there's a really good chance I went over under a hundred two. I didn't even do this on my this is all math I did in my head. Well I will triple check you. Um so (laughs) The one I think you're most confident in is defensive backs. Now, here's why. One, they're returning the most starters. I, mm-hmm. all, all five guys come back. And two, this is a, a Phil Parker play. For, you are in the top 1% of Fran diehards, but you are in the top 0.1% of Phil diehards. So that's why I picked yep. the backs. Yep, so I defensive feel- backs. I wanted Phil to be the head coach back in 2012. I have that written down. <laughs> I still have. I have that in a Daily Iowa article um, somewhere under my bed. So I'm going to ride that out <laughs> till I die. Uh, but no, defensive oh. backs was second. I guess okay. I didn't even take. I didn't even take. Had I have even thought about adding Phil Parker or coaching <laughs> in the equation, I would have. But I didn't. I was just doing this from a purely skill individual talent and i think the reason when i explain what i went with number one oh, yeah, makes sense. so um my number one is skill position okay and that's because for a lot of reasons volume i include wide receivers tight ends and running backs in that and second skill position just includes tyler goodson who when i was doing this when i first started down to do this i just wanted to give running back the running back room 40 points because <laughs> because i because i like tyler goodson that much I have high hopes for – I think Ivory Kelly Martin is going to be a really good spell back. 
Um, I don't even know who the third running back is going to be. I don't think the coaches know who the third running back is going to be. doesn't matter. And then Monty Potterbaum, I mean, I was always got good, if not problematic, fullbacks after they graduate. So I gave the skill position 25 points. Also because I think Sam Laporta, the upside is very high for him. I think he's going to be really, really good. And I think uh, Luke Lachey, or is it Lachey or Lackey? Um, the number two tight end on the on the spring two deep six three, like just under two hundred pounds. I think it could be someone special too. Yeah, and you do all this without getting to the wide receivers yet. Um, exactly. Because I think if you're going to go oh, down, Luke Lachey is six six two thirty seven, even better. Yeah, he, and that's not even talking about the the guy who's even a higher recruit than him in a lot Eli Elijah, or Elijah, Elijah. Yelverton. Elijah Yelverton, yeah. He's not even yeah. too deep, so don't even include him. So I think when you when you put Tyler Goodson and Sam Laporta in the ranking of who's the best players on this team, both of them are maybe one one three if we're giving Linderbaum not to to get away from it a little too much, but two of the top five guys are within this group that you've created, and I understand why you went that, went with that over the defensive backs. So that makes sense. I'm not good. especially. This is where spring football just scares the hell out of me. Iowa's season, as far as I can tell, more or less hinges on Tyler Goodson's health, and if he makes it through this spring at 100. percent no stupid injuries, nothing that lingers into the fall. I will probably feel very optimistic come August, but um, both in terms of importance, confidence, whatever, that's that's who I'm hinging my 2021 outlook on right now is Tyler Goodson. And maybe that's a fool's errand, but Ben, I'm not always smart. So getting, I just want to get to the. I mean, yeah, I'm as high as Tyler on Tyler Goodson as I have been on any uh, incoming Iowa running back, I think, or returning rather Iowa running back. Um, you know, Tyrone Tracy, Nico Regani, Charlie Jones, three guys. You got to be happy with. Um, Max Cooper has been on the Iowa football team longer than I've been blogging for Blackheart Cold Pants, <laughs> so it's a little bit eyebrow raising to see him. Um, whatever. I'm the two two deeps. That's fine. The other three guys I mentioned before are going to be great, and I think the you know wide receiver usually is in a position where I where a walk on or a hidden gem kind of comes up the depth chart. And I mentioned last week where you know everybody's listed at five eleven or six foot as wide receiver, which means they're all either five ten or five eight or five nine. <laughs> Switch doesn't give me a ton of confidence, but we got the size, the height with the tight ends. So, you know, I'm okay. And like I said, we know what we're getting with Tyron Tracy and Nico Gainey, which is enough. Two wide receivers is is enough. Where, how do you factor in the very early buzz with Keegan Johnson? Um, that was something that I don't think it necessarily raised eyebrows. I, I do think if you're a wide receiver and you demonstrate ability in your first year, you are going to see the field and stay on the field for four or five years. Um, that is my one Iowa football receiver take. So I think the core three that they have 
are good in terms of what they can bring to the team. But will Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce, how do those guys factor in that can really set this whole group over the top? And I know Keegan Johnson is the guy who's who's in Iowa City. I'm not sure if Bruce is, but uh, another side note, big year for Keegan's. True. Spelled differently, though. Um, oh, yeah. I'll answer your question with another question. When's the last time a true freshman Iowa wide receiver made you feel really great about anything? Because I can think of one name, but even then, there's going to be some revisionist history. I mean, the fact that Germanique Smith and Matt Vandenberg broke through said more about the wide receiver rooms, then I think you – do you have to go back to Keenan Davis? Is that who we're talking about? No, not even who I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, and the person that I'm talking about, I'd have to pull up Keenan Davis' stats right now because I think Keenan Davis kind of – he was the type of person who had a, who regressed in a way, right? Yeah, I mean, he was – At least from a, at least from a pr- production standpoint. Yeah. Um, no, I'm thinking of great, great true freshman wide receiver is Amir Smith-Marset, but really, uh, his stats, yeah. he started, but his stats were not good. He, If it wasn't for an incredible Iowa State overtime victory and overall in the game, I think he had two, maybe even three touchdowns. He had like under 300 receiving yards total on the year, and like 80 of them came against Iowa State. <laughs> in his second or third game of his career. Um, God, Wikipedia stinks for college football stats. Um, so, yeah, that, that's sort of my point is no Iowa football wide receiver as a true freshman has ever really – Keenan Davis, he had four catches as a freshman. Oh, um, gosh. 11 as oh, a sophomore, yeah. 50 as a junior, and 47 as a senior. So, he is, yeah, his junior year was – he was a four-star recruit too, right? Yeah, I mean that was that was the thing about him the the highest recruit that I was had as a receiver since Jay Shield or the only higher one was Jay Shield since then. So yeah, I mean people oh, were high on uh, DJK in two thousand seven, but he he got the the redshirt year. So Iowa skill positions number one. How many points did you give him? Oh, uh, twenty five. 25 already. So, all right. So, so they, are, we, they are worth one quarter of my confidence points, my very important confidence points. Number, already. you want to guess who my second is? Oh, I, already, well, I think, I think, I I think said you said it, it was uh, defensive backs, correct? Yeah. Um, so it's defensive backs, and I just – I wrote down Jack Kerner, Kayvon Mary, other Matt, Matt Hankins – those are three dudes, Harrison. Those are just three guys. And I think Kerner is underrated. Like, I think he he was – I think he might have been tied for the lead with the Big Ten in interceptions last year, which, you know, is insane. A ton, eight games, COVID year, whatever. Um, but he just has a knack. And I think it kind of has a, has a thing to do with, with the position, too, where that, that safety spot, they just are where the ball is. But, I mean, you still got to make the play. Um, mm-hmm. but he's never, he's never done anything where I can't remember saying, oh my God, Kerner was totally out of position there. He totally screwed up. 
especially since, you know, he was inserted after Kayvon Merriweather more or less kind of, it sounds like hurt himself in practice. So, and that's, and he, was he another walk-on too? I can't remember. It feels like every free safety is a walk-on. Yeah, absolutely was a walk-on. Yes. And then next one we got Kayvon Merriweather, the guy whose position, whose job he more or less stole. But Merriweather is such a good athlete, you know, former Division One basketball commit, um, that we had Iowa had to sort of change, move him around the field. And he, you know, he, he had some growing pains in the very first game against Purdue last year, I think. But ever since then, more or less was a stalwart in the defensive backfield. And then Matt Hankins is, you know, potentially an NFL guy. So three, not, not to say that Merriweather, Kerner aren't, but, you know, Hankins just from the position and the, and the size, um, he's probably Iowa's best chance at having an NFL guy, I think, on this defense um, before we get to the linebackers. So okay. feeling good about him. And then, yeah, cause, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about the guy I think we're talking about later. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, behind him, we, got, we talked about Riley Moss enough last week. And then Terry Terry Roberts, yep, yep, uh, behind him. And then I can't even write remember, read the handwriting of the third guy I wrote down. But we should mention here, I guess, is I considered Cash defensive backfield and Dane Belton is really okay. good. Iowa seems to consider Cash linebacker, which is the way they break it down. I don't care one way or the other. Maybe maybe we should consider a linebacker because then there's only two linebackers yeah. on the field with the cash, but I don't care one way or the other still. Uh, let's just take this time to say, I, I really like Dane Belton too. And I think you're really high on Dane Belton. So yeah, I love Dane Belton. Um, he was someone that uh, he was inserted against Purdue two years ago. And that was a game I was at. He was maybe that was an ugly game. And he was one of the bright spots of it for me watching him play. Um, so I, I'll, I'll always, have that with him. Uh, could not have said that weirder. Um, uh, but yeah, he's someone I like. I think he's, you aren't going to clone Amani Hooker, but um, you're not going to get much closer to someone who can do what Amani Hooker did than Dane Belton. And I, that's where I take a little issue with you putting Hankins as kind of the number one uh, NFL guy, because I think Belton could be someone who goes from, pretty good starter uh, to a breakout candidate this year um, and maybe leaves after the, the three years in, in Iowa's system and, you know, does exactly what Amani Hooker did in that respect. But um, yeah, agree with defensive backfield and Iowa's skill guys one, two. Uh, what was your point total on that one? 20. 20. Okay. So we've spent 45 points. That sounds about right. Um, good to move on to three. Do you want to hear? All righty. I think number three is special teams. You're right. Yeah. Oh, I yes. can't believe you got it. I thought I was going to sneak that past you. Yeah. I mean, Tory Taylor, That was that's the first one. And then I think yep. um, Iowa loses two guys in Keith Duncan and Amir Smith-Marset that – are huge deals for, you know, Duncan's ability to put the ball through the uprights, Smith-Marset's ability to flip the field. But um, I don't know if you 
kind of like Belton with Hooker. I'm not sure you could find two guys um, more primed to to back up stalwarts like uh, Charlie Jones and Caleb Shudak. So that's yeah. I it was a sneak, but I, I think it's it's the right call. I uh, thought I was going to get that past you, so I wrote down uh, Charlie Jones was the first thing I wrote down. Just I mean, oh yeah, I was never had. A, since I've been an Iowa football fan, I was never had a good punt returner ever other than Desmond King. And that was a function of Desmond King and not Iowa. <laughs> um, but I mean, Jones, what do you think returned his average? What I mean, it's not great. It is actually really good. It's great fry. What do you think his average return was last year? Didn't it get above 10? Yep. Yeah. I mean, for Iowa, that's great. That's actually incredible. It's another when set you of have downs, to, is the way I look at it. Yeah, I, I'd like to know, like, the net punting and receiving stats because 10 yard that's cutting, you know, the av- if the average punt is 40 yards, that's cutting 25% off of it However, whenever he, he decides to return the ball. And that's a huge deal, huge deal in the way Iowa plays. That's a first down. Exactly. So, I mean, it's 10.5 yards per return, but – Still, whatever, with the touchdown. Um, So it's great. I feel great about him. I don't think he'll be returning kicks necessarily. I have no idea who will be returning kicks. Um, And, you know, I don't care. It'll be – won't be Amir Smith-Marset. So we'll just have to deal with it. And then Torrey Taylor, obviously. Um, Sex from down under. Feel good about him. Uh, Then Terry Roberts was the third guy I wrote down just because I don't know if since he's going to play a bigger role on defense – he'll play as big of a role he will on special teams, but I have to assume since he's not starting as a corner um, and until he takes over, until somebody gets hurt or he usurps Robbie Moss, which I don't think will happen, he'll probably still get some good playing time run. And then I don't know the first thing about Caleb Shudek other than we have to cheer for him as best we can. And, and he's no Keith Duncan probably, but that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I only know him from the guy that Kirk Ferentz probably puts that Northwestern loss on because he hit the upright on a 60-yard field goal instead of um, not reining in Brian to pass the ball 50 times. So um, that's that's the only thing we know Shudak for other than, you know, just kicking the ball and not having the team return it. So I Wait, think I with... Even- you don't remember that? You don't remember no. Shudak missing the kick? It so was they, they trotted him out there over Keith Duncan because he can kick it further. Yes, I he, honestly he, do not. He had a ton this. of leg on it. I, I, it, it was the moment I knew Iowa lost that game. I don't things I don't want to relitigate at this juncture: the 2020 Iowa Northwestern football game and the 2021 basketball season. Maybe, maybe, maybe later, but yeah, that. That's Keith Dunk or Caleb Shudak's only uh, kick, um, and, and it was a miss. So, but eh, he's been in the program a while. He does a good job on kickoffs. So yeah, special teams on to four. You think? Say it again. On to number four. Yeah, I gave them twenty points. Oh, you gave them twenty points as well as D backs. Yeah, so we're at forty-five, sixty-five. Well over okay. halfway. 
Oh boy. Oh boy. <clears throat> yep. So what do you want to guess for number four? Uh, I'm going to go linebackers. That'd be my Make guess it, for four. I did, I did not. Okay. I'll tell, when I get to linebackers, I'll tell you why. But for, I did number th- four was offensive line. Okay. And because the way I did this is was just like, I took guys. I, I, I just did guys. And Tyler Linderbaum's a guy. Kyler Schott's a guy. And Jack Plum, I think, we don't know much about him, but I think he's going to be a guy at, um, at he's huge, at 6'7", 300 pounds from Green Bay. I just have to assume he's going to be really good. And then, like I said, the three guys, the two guys who named before him, you know, Linderbaum will probably go to the NFL draft this year. There's even whispers of him going this year. And Kyler Schott has kind of been plagued by injuries a little bit more, more so earlier. Uh, but I think he was, I think he was a walk on, right. And they just had to figure out a way to put him on the field and, uh, they finally figured it out. And, you know, I don't feel as good about, you know, Cody, is it NC or inch? And then, and Britt's another guy who's been kind of played by injuries too at right guard. But, um, that's sort of, sorry, hold on. Um, that's sort of where I'm at. Uh, with this offensive line, I, I guess now that you've mentioned, you know, talking about coaching and all that, I'm not worried about, you know, a turnover with an offensive line coach or anything like that. I think as long as we have Linderbaum there, shot is a really good foundation. I think Plum's been in the program long enough um, where we have to feel good about the whole, the whole unit. Yeah. I don't, I don't know enough to, to be angry at it. I think you're, you're right to, hinge a lot of it on Linder Linderbaum um, with him being presumably, you know, one of Iowa's best players. That's the right person to, to, to build around. If you're going to build a line around, especially when you consider um, all of the responsibilities that go on with the center position. So um, I would like to see a little more depth, but part of that, you know, that's why they have the spring to, to build the depth, find guys they feel, feel good about and, um, that versatility. So it makes sense. Not, not the best, not the worst. W- what was your point value for him? Oh, what's that, Ben? I think you're muted. I was, it's, uh, I was at 15. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, for number five, I don't just want to be like, ah, oh, linebackers, 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 until I get that right. So I'm going to go different. I'll go defensive line. Uh, defensive line and linebackers are tied. Oh, okay. We're fourth and fifth. So we can, we'll go with D-line first. And that's a problem with – this is the way I sort of went with it is, you know, it's John Wagner, Zach Van Valkenburg, and that's kind of it. I was kind of surprised to see Joe Evans, I said last week, wasn't starting, but – you got to put them, you know, Wagner and ZVD were good enough. Uh, Joe Evans will be able to fill in the middle. He kind of plays. It seems it feels like a hybrid position anyway. And then interior defensive line. Kind, kind, kind of worrisome with the departures of two boys, two big men from Davion Nixon and Jack Heflin. Um, we, we got two guys, Noah Shannon, who played quite a bit last year but still a little bit undersized for a defensive nose tackle position at six feet to 88. And then Yaya Black, who I believe redshirted last year, is going to be, he's a redshirt. Yeah, he is. He's a redshirt freshman from 
Minnesota. He's a big 6'5", 279. Don't know where we're getting out of him. Um, but beyond, we got two Logans behind each of them. And I think we there's been some good chatter with Logan Jones and Logan Lee. There's been some good chatter, I remember, about Logan Lee from um, middle of nowhere, Illinois, I think kind of near where, excuse me, where AJ Epinesa was from or grew up at least. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I just typically – Iowa defensive lines are – we always you know, talk about having guys like Adrian Claiborne or um, Broderick Bins or Mike Daniels, but – you know, having guys in the middle like Carl, Carl Klug and Davion Nixon, have, I feel like, you know, and then obviously Epinesa too. We've had good defensive linemen all across the field, I guess, but I don't know. As a big boy myself, I always think that having a nose tackle is a straw that stirs a drink. I agree with that. I mean, I think that the the unheralded guy from last year that I was just – so hoping would return was Jack Heflin. Um, I think his ability to take on two bodies really freed up Davion Nixon, made life easy for Iowa's ends, made life easy for Iowa's linebackers. Um, Rob Donaldson, uh, he talks about uh, radius and how the the radius of you know the the plays that an interior lineman can can make can impact the whole field more or less. Um, so yeah, uh, I think that having to, you know, going, um, what's this going junior and Noah Shannon, then freshman, freshman, sophomore at those two positions, guys need to, you're asking a lot for, from guys who haven't shown much, although I do think black can be a special player. Um, so I like Evans. I like Van Valkenburg. I want to see Wagner be a guy. Um, and then I love Iowa's linebackers. I think that's the only thing I really disagree with you so far in terms of placement. Um, Jack Campbell is just an absolute stud. And then Seth Benson's a, a strong guy behind him. Justin Jacobs, I want to see something out of. Um, but ultimately, I, I think the the when you frame it as like, oh, the front seven versus the back seven, I love Iowa's back seven on defense about as much as anything. But the front seven, I have a lot of questions. Obviously, you know, there's an overlap of two or three in there. Um, but th- there are questions that need to be answered, and, and hopefully hopefully that happens um, this spring. Well, yeah, let's talk about linebackers. I think part of it was to see the departure of Barrington Wade, who I think was – Super underrated last year and maybe underutilized. There, you know, there. I think there are some games we need to play because of Iowa just went all cash uh, on that game. And correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you, wasn't Jack Campbell the middle linebacker last year? Was it somebody else? It was Campbell. It like it. I think they flipped Campbell and Benson because Neiman was the full time W. Yes, yes. So Campbell's at W this year and. I mean, I, I didn't even know he realized he was this big. He's 6'5", 243. Um, He's so big. It's incredible. And he was just everywhere. He can move really – I don't know who to compare him to, really, um, for, from past our linebackers because, like, Josie Jewell and James Morris are always – they were always framed as, like, sort of being undersized. Same with, like, Pat Angerer and um, 
Turpinian and AJ Eats as well, even like all those great linebackers. Um, whereas Benz, uh, Campbell has the size, he has the speed. He, I, I can't think, you know, I mean, Chad Greenway, I guess, but I want to compare him to, you know, NFL future Hall of Famer. So that's just where I'm at with Campbell right now. I'm not as high on Justin Jacobs. Um, he won't have to play too much, I think. I do remember him. I mean, he was a true freshman last year, so what, what can you ask for? But, I, you know, I do remember the, the growing pains. I don't remember a ton out of Seth Benson. And then the, the Leo is Logan Klemp, who I can't remember playing at all last year. So that, that's yeah. sort of why, why I rated them as low as I did. Because to me, it was one guy, and it was Campbell. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, the thing about Campbell, I just, as you were trying to find a comp for him, settled on Greenway. It's an unfair one, right? Um, but he even dwarfs Chad Greenway, who measured at 6'2". Exactly. Uh, don't have his um, weight readily on hand. But 6'5 is just, I mean, those are guys that you normally see Iowa turn into to potential all-pro linebacker, or all-pro tight ends playing um, playing at uh, middle linebacker, he's he might be one of a kind um, in that respect. So I mean, yeah, I, Kirk, Christian Kirksey was only six two, and he's a guy who like really should I mean go down in history as one of the most underrated players of the Kirk Ferentz era. I mean, he's still, I mean, he was drafted in 2014, and he's still in the league and playing like decent football. He's had some really unlucky injuries, but. I mean, Kirksey, at the time, I think he had the record for most tackles in a season from an Iowa player, and I think Jewel then broke it. But um, um, it's, you know, it stuff like that. And not to say you need to be big, like Anthony Hitchens is still in the league. I think James Morris technically is still in the league. And th- those guys were undersized by all respects. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So I guess, uh, how many points is that? Let That's me guess. A, Was it nine points that you gave each one of these? <laughs> no, less. I don't think so. No, I didn't put that much disrespect on oh, yeah, okay. his name. Okay, that's fair. I, that, I, I, gave, I, would, I was. I, I gave each of these units seven and a half points. Oh, okay. All right, all right. So, so I got creative okay, accounting okay, there. Okay. So am I, is that 95? Yeah, you did. You did the math very, very correct. Unless you gave um, our quarterback more or less than five points. I gave Spencer Petrus in the quarterback room five points. All right, good pod. See you later. Yeah, I mean, I, we're gonna talk about quarterback enough. Um, you have him rated appropriately. I think, as much as anything, this is a function of Iowa's. inability to have quarterbacks do things that other quarterbacks at other teams do over the course of their career. Um, We've seen some improvement from some guys, most notably Ricky Stanzi, but a lot of times Iowa quarterbacks just become increasingly cogs in the machine of Kirk Ferentz football. So the fact we didn't see a whole lot of, extraneous stuff from Petrus his first year scares me that we might never see any of the stuff that he was lauded about 
So I was rewatching. I don't ask me. Well, I'll tell you why. I was waiting for a meeting to happen at work, and so I was like, "This." I knew this was going to happen, knowing the people I work with. So I just pulled up YouTube on my personal computer next to my work computer, and the very first, hoping to watch maybe a, a pleasant cooking video or something like that. But instead, the algorithm spit at me the Iowa Wisconsin football game highlights of 2020, and I was okay. like, "Oh." I mean, I don't remember much about this game. Um, I do remember podcasting with you, but I remember being drunk. So I was like, oh, let's see what happened. And it was a miracle. Iowa went into that half, 6-3. Like, Petra, they then this was like, quote-unquote, highlight reel. It was like a 22-minute video where it basically just showed every offensive possession <laughs> for either team. And it was just overthrow after overthrow after overthrow like Iowa could have been up 21 nothing easier 17 rep easy to start that game out and like we talked about like hope we get you know late season Petrus over early season Petrus is like late season Petrus just didn't throw as many interceptions <laughs> but which is obviously you know fine it's part of it but it's it's not like he was anything special it wasn't anything great he was arguably good would be the way I'd frame it and I mean, I guess it's it, it's tough to you know base that off of one game uh, of shoddily clipped together highlights uh, in a YouTube video, but it's like I don't feel super good about this. And you know that was a team with Amir Smith, Marset, and Brandon Smith, two guys, two NFL guys. I love Tyrone Tracy. I love Nico Organi. I love Charlie Jones. I don't know if they're NFL guys. And I knew Amir Smith-Marset was an NFL guy, and I think Brandon Smith is. But I I don't know. I don't know that you know anybody, any of the Iowa's other three receivers are NFL guys. I think, you know, Laporta could be. We haven't seen Lachey play at all. We haven't seen the Elverton, the Elverton play. But, like, this, this skill position, the skill room isn't getting any better, Spencer Petrus. Uh, so that means you got to. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just going back through his game log right now. And the thing that does jump out at you is the fact that it's not as bad as you might remember it. I mean, his worst game statistically was um, either the Northwestern game, if you go by rating, or the Minnesota game where he was 9 of 18. But I think you you frame the sentiment around Petrus pretty fairly because late season Petrus is essentially two, five quarters, the the quarters two through four against Illinois, if I remember correctly, and then the second half against Wisconsin. But I know he doesn't care what people think. He shouldn't. But there is a lot to be desired from quarterback. And I... I'm coming back to some idea of like, oh, no one was more impacted by everything that went on than than the quarterback position um, with the cancellation of spring last year. At which point, it's like, uh, I, I just would have liked to see him do things that were pushing the boundaries instead of things that were, for lack Not- of a better word, afraid. Um, yeah. Because like we hear, we hear some of the the talk coming out and it's like, oh, I need to get better at the easy throws. Well, 
what are the easy throws? The checkdowns, the ones that don't turn the ball over. Um, to your point, Amir Smith, Marcent, Brandon Smith, Iowa's two most NFL looking wide receivers in a long time. Um, they're not going to be able to necessarily do things after the catch that, or they, they're more capable of doing things after the catch than I think what is proven to be on the roster. Now the freshman could be special, but um, yeah, I'm just not optimistic about the position and the things that he's focusing on are things that do not exactly inspire confidence, um, which is fine. That's what it is. I mean, it, but I think we know who he is. And as I'll quote you quoting Mark Morehouse, I think there are going to be a lot of times when we're podcasting after games and it feels like we've seen that movie before. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I want him to do great. I want him to succeed, but I think we're going to have to see something we haven't seen out of the quarterback room before for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that immediately scares me, especially especially considering um, it was mentioned in the write-up from Leistikow today was no one wants to see Spencer or Spencer Petrus be Jake Rudock circa 2014. And that's exactly what I think this season could look like from the quarterback position is Jake Rudock 2014. Again, you go back, you look at the game logs, not that bad, but we all sat through some pretty uninspired quarterback play that year. And it was not ideal, not ideal. Now I wouldn't wish an injury on Spencer Petrus for us to figure out who's behind him, but I'm not under the impression that there is going to be any sense of real quarterback um, quarterback race. There's not going to be a controversy. Ferentz has his guy. His guy is going to get the lion's share of reps. Even if they're being split, he's got the lead. He's not going to be overcome. And the wheels in the sky keep on turning. And I guess it's a thing, too. That's a problem with, like, quarterback and Petrus. It's like, and the the six-point rating I gave him. Or five point rating I gave him rather. It's like I don't know a goddamn thing about Alex Padilla or Deuce Hogan. Like so I can't, you know. Not, okay, that's gonna be a you thing. Um <laughs> so I'm not even bothering I'm not even gonna try and rate those guys because what's the point in rating I mean I guess I try to do with other positions, but it's a little bit different. Um what's the point of rating somebody who we've never seen throw throw a pass before? It's, you know, the, the quarterback position is the Spencer Petrus position. And right now, I have 5% of the confidence I have in him compared to uh, the 25% confidence I have in the guys we throwing the ball to and handing it off to, which, I don't know. Would you want to see that flipped? Maybe. I'm not sure. Would you I rather mean, have... I- Unless you have wide receivers like Alabama had last year, I your your skill guys can make a quarterback look good, but more often it's the quarterback who makes the rest of the team look good. So yes, I would rather see that flipped. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> 
and yeah, like like Amir Smith and I and uh, Brandon Smith, Iowa's two best, most NFL like receivers are so far away from Devonte Smith that it's not even funny. I mean, that guy's going to go three for a reason, or he's going to be the like the first non quarterback offensive player taken for a reason. He's so good. He won the Heisman as a receiver. I just want to go back and remember that. I didn't watch enough Alabama this year, but that's that's what this coming year's for. I'm rambling. Anyways, that was that was a good a good way to do that, Ben. I liked it. I would just like to counter your flipping the two thousand thirteen football team. It has a quarterback that's currently on an NFL roster throwing the passes. And it had Cavante Martin Manley and Tavon Smith and CJ Fedorts and Damon Powell were their four leading pass catchers. Do you know Cavante Martin Manley was the leading pass catcher? Do you know how many yards he had in the 2013 oh, no. season? Total? Was this like somehow he had like seven and a half yards per catch? So he ended up with like, what would that be? 450 yards? Less. He had less than 450 yards in a, in a third in a 13 game season, and he was I was still leading I was leading receiver. Comfortably, Incredible, comfortably I was leading receiver with 388 yards. So, I guess the counter to year one he had flipped is is that. Whereas you know nothing against Cavante Martin Manley. Um. I feel better about this year's wide receiver. And, I mean, C.J. Fedorts was in this wide receiver room too. So, I mean, he had an NFL player starting to as a skill position. I, you know, George Kittle was also. He had five catches on that that year. Um, Interesting. But, yeah. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, that was 2013. Because an unhealthy doozy was also there probably. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, that that was kind of loaded when mm-hmm. you look at when you look at that from the the tight end realm. Really good running backs too. Hmm. 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 Interesting. I'll 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 new to that one. Some. But would you have given? I mean, this is retconning a lot. I mean, I can't imagine there would have been many points given to quarterback in that that situation either that year coming oh. off of Vandenberg. Uh, let's see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was super high in Rudock. I remember reading he had broken a bunch of records at St. Thomas Aquinas, which is like you know one of the best high school football programs in the country down in Florida. Um, and I didn't, I had never seen him in person yet, so I didn't realize he was none of the six two, two hundred pounds that they build him as in the playbook in the <laughs> in the in the whatever you want to call it. Let's see what they even have him as now. But he, he is a small guy. He is listed as still making 750 grand. Good for him. Um, he is listed as 6'3", 212, which he is not 6'3", dear, dear listener. <laughs> he is, that's, that's doing a lot of work. Unless he's grown inches since college, which I don't, which I don't think has happened. Yeah, that's rare. That's rare. Mm-hmm. Well, Ben, it's been another week. 
it'll be another week the next time we get together. We'll probably have some interesting spring stuff to talk about. We'll we'll talk about Lucas Gar- Garza's NFT. It's up to four. I think he finally like went into the settings to make it so that um, you could only make real real uh, single single Ethereum bids. That's what it looks like because um, it's up to eight grand in the the dollar figure. So we'll monitor the situation. We'll monitor it. Um, but until then. A- anything else to, to close out this this wonderful podcast? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I'm ready to talk more about. I've got more games for you planned, so this is going to be fun. This is yeah. going to be fun. Mm-hmm. So, for Ben Ross, for Harrison Star, hopefully you didn't hear my baby crying in the background too much. I need to probably tend to him. Hopefully you didn't hear Ben's roommate. I was about to say, I will, I will trade your baby for... No, he's not my roommate. The guy who lives below me. <laughs> the, guy, my, the guy who lives below you, yes. My, yes. my downstairs neighbor, yeah. Uh, for, for all four of us, go Hawks. Mm, school. <laughs> <laughs>